0: This next gross and conspicuous error is a look at the capitalist mode of thought. It is dedicated to phenomenological art critics, whoever and wherever they may be. In addition, it is also dedicated, at this same time, to Ludwig Wittgenstein, a noted German philosopher who was responsible for having said, You cannot be a philosopher and a communist at the same time!
1: As a classless means of communication language belongs to the managers
2: so welcome to listen on air today we are with art and language in their studio in banbury and we're going to talk about their working with the Red Crayola. So I thought maybe we could start just with Mel and Michael perhaps talking a bit about how you came to collaborate with the Red Crayola, what year it was, and um, yeah, how your involvement began.
3: This is different than mine. OK. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it, but slightly in a, slightly before, but also not. It, it's, it's all rather complicated. However, it wasn't... The Red Crayola... What, wasn't the Red Crayola, um, from the at the beginning. Well, it, it had been. Um, Mayo had, had a band called the Red Crayola, um, which had fallen into abeyance somewhat by this mid-'70s. And Mayo became involved with art and language in New York um, Well, he was involved with you before he was involved with On Language in New York. But he'd sort of been involved with On Language in New York, I think, in some sense, peripherally in some way. He was involved with Christine Kosloff and so on, and Joseph. Anyway, um, I I cannot quite recall how, you know, the moment that our eyes met across a crowded room, I can't remember. Uh, However, we conceived at some point a project um, of making a record. Um, And that grew in some regards out of um, the so-called indexing project of the early 1970s, which had got more and more reflexive and in many ways stranger and stranger and some of its content had attenuated into slogan-like and somewhat repetitive uh, phrases and in longer portions of text. And it seemed a fairly interesting idea to perhaps try and um, see what else could be done with this material. And I remember having a conversation with Mayo in which um, we talked about these things being somewhat song-like, but not quite lyric, song lyric-like, but marginally so. And so I set about trying to write these unsingable rackets, Mm -hmm. I mean, literary rackets, um to give me a headache or uh, <laughs> create some sort of difficult um this a lot of this was written in a very odd circumstance in in uh, captiva island in Florida at Robert Rauschenberg's compound there he'd paid for um, me to go and 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 work there um, which is a very really, really odd place to produce that sort of material since most of it was how um, should I put it, displaced, uh, displaced political material Marxian tinged and more political material
2: Was this for the record corrected slogans? Yeah,
3: so it was producing rather odd circumstances and in fact I was arrested at my airport, um, when I went to do this, arrested, uh, I think because a uh, security man or CIA man had noticed uh, uh, on the plane that I'd got all these political tracks, which I was carrying <laughs> to, to make, uh, uh, for, you know, as a as, as sort of crib material for these lyrics. And uh deprived me of my passport <clears throat> for a while. And uh, um it was all put right because because Rauschenberg got a congressman and a lawyer. That, and Rauschenberg was just getting a at the time was getting a medal from the president. So it you know, it, it 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 worked out, as it were, in the end. But it was rather odd for a moment. Um anyway, these these lyrics were written and uh Mayo took them away, such as they were, and took them away and uh, began to develop little tunes around them and various ways to to realize them. And we recorded the thing um, in a 16 track recording studio near here, actually. Mm. Uh, There were a lot of recording studios in this area at that time, Manor studios. Um, was it very nearby? Also, you know, Richard Branson, you know, Virgin Records, and there were sundry the other. It was Keith Moon's studio and Chipping Norton, and so on. There were lots and lots of them around. So it was actually a, a, a kind of curious. Um, there was a curious concentration of them in this area, mm. and, and at that time in '74, 16 track it was was considered rather uh, advanced. So this very unadvanced music with these very strange, um, out-of-whack lyrics um, were recorded on at what at the time was considered a fairly you know, uh, high level of, of, of uh, recording technology, with a rather high level of recording technology.
2: So were was, was some of those songs sort of improvised in their making? Or... In part, but they, yeah. were,
3: they were performed. This is the only... Re- Art and Language of Red Crayola record performed by art and language mm. as such. The, the, the very uh, the art and language and various art and languageisti. I mean, you know, if you, various voices including, um, you know, Charles Harrison and Sandra Harrison and uh, Harold Hurl, um me, Philip Pilkington and some of the others uh, uh, all performed on it, and uh, and Christine Kosloff. Uh, performed on it it wasn't a uh uh professional musician's operation by any chance Mm. it was essentially uh uh uh, the the the, the product of amateurs with with mayo sort of directing it and playing most of the doing most of the instrumental work
1: in New York at the time, Mayo was living in New York, and I knew he'd... This was a time when we were producing the Fox magazine, and Mayo had come to see us, partly because he'd been over here, and he came to see us, in fact, with the idea of taking over the distribution of Art Language magazine, which he was going to um, sell on... with in newspaper vendor places on the corners of streets. But I didn't know Mayo was a music- musician at, at all. I didn't know anything about the Red Crow from Houston, Texas, with Steve Cunningham and uh, Rick Bartholme. I didn't know any, anything about that. And I didn't know anything about the fact that he'd done this, recorded some mu- music with, with, with Michael Art Language. That was a secret. He didn't tell anybody. So I didn't know him as a musician at all and didn't work with him as a, mus- as a musician. He was just a guy who joined the conversation in art language in New
3: York. But we, we have to also offer some, possibly some explanation as to what art and language in New York has seen from art and language in this country. Hmm. The, art, the, the development of art and language in New York grew out of the operation of, in some sense or another, the document index of 1972. Do- yes, do- it, did. Five. it did, it did. Largely it mushroomed. Out of the, not the personnel, because Mel was the only person from New York directly involved in, in, the, production of the Documenter Index. But it grew out of the its methodology, in some sense or. Yeah,
1: I knew that after the Documenter Index, and I don't, I'm not cleaning up the past here, which I have a tendency to do. Most people do, but uh, I knew after the documentary Index that you could not make work on your own. Or even with another person, you, you had to get some other people involved and start talking to them. And Mayer was one of the people who came and started talking. And that was it. There was no music involved at all. And that's interesting because I, I found a letter probably
0: sent from you in the mid-70s which we have in the archive and it's addressed to your Bowery address in New York, but it you it, the thing on the top says Art and Language Press. So to what extent did people know really what you were? Because if you're sort of publishing magazines and publishing journals, what to what extent did people know really what you well, were? Well it said
1: it said it said art language press because we were the distributors in New York of the magazine Art of Language.
0: Yeah.
3: But but this this is there was a, a sense in which art and language had created a, a sort of Gesamtkunstwerk, which was a very evanescent and rather um, you know materially unstable Gesamtkunstwerk, in the sense that um, after we published the the first few issues of the of the journal the conversation had um, tended towards the idea that all our work was going to be concentrated in this form in the the written form of the journal it was a, that's that was its ontology as it were somewhere. but this of course involved our, the fact that it was Connected to printed material did not limit what it was because it would refer outside that printed form. Um, but this conversation went on and on, you know, as to how restricted the work was going to be relative to things like using galleries or putting things on walls and, and so on and so on. A lot it a of some of it was very callow conversation, and uh, probably we probably have had aims that were more or less unrealizable in many ways, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it seemed as if the, you know, the resistance, the one that was uh, seeking to put up to the institutional um, BM off was, was somehow to be found in restricting our uh, production to a form which was not uh, distributed in galleries and so on and so on. Is,
2: is um, that
3: what you mean by an unrealisable aim? Yeah, it was an aim because everybody, yeah, yeah we, 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 would, we would aspire yeah. and then backslide and aspire and realise that that aspiring was absolutely pointless. And there were interesting ways in which we could colonise the walls of galleries mm. and so on, or, or syndicalise the walls of galleries, as it were. Um, so, so. Uh, it was never consistent, but it was always there was a it was a persistent theme and the index was supposed to in some ways to to cope with that limitation in a in a slightly different way.
1: After the index I did not know and I don't think other people knew either exactly what the work was, where it was. Mm. It could be mm. It could be something that went on the wall. It could be a conversation. It could be that the work had no particular form that you could rely on anymore. So when the when the music came up with Mayo, it was a great way of getting conceptual art, if you'll pardon the expression, and conceptual aspects mm-hmm. out of its kind of form in terms of writing, and you could start, shouting conceptual art, you could start singing conceptual art, mm-hmm. and it was a great thing to move the work away from the magazine and so on into this kind of other but, form.
3: But it also grew out of aspects of the, 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 the various indexing projects which used the, 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 the idea of, of the indices of one's utterances, political or otherwise... In in subjective terms, you know, the, the one's tone of voice, one's, whether it was loud, whether it was soft. Exactly. yeah. And what other, the various other, you know, whether dog barked in the room next door or, 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 or whatever. These kinds of questions started to arise. And there was a natural move in a f- way towards the idea of making a song-like thing mm-hmm. out of this the, um, reflexive... Uh, indexing project because certain very many aspects of this uh, indexing project were, were, as I said, to do with a kind of radical subjectivity that bore upon whatever interpretations might be available to the political and and, and, uh, cultural gestures and observations you might be making.
0: Had had you ever thought of performing them before? Was this the first time, you know, because you could also read the texts coming from the index as concrete poetry or as they could have been read as standalone things, but was there any sort of performative aspect of art and language before this?
3: Only in a very limited sense. I mean, when I was a student, I'd done performances somewhat influenced by Robert Morris and, and you know, ro- ro- rolled around on the floor and done judo break <laughs> things like that, but... but That's hardly qualifies, I (laughs) (laughs) suspect. I don't,
1: I can't remember ever thinking of the performative aspects. I know people keep bringing it up now Mm. art and language and performance and drawing and performance and all sorts of things. Um, I'd never thought of the performative aspect of it until we did Nine (coughs) gross and Conspicuous Errors, which was an absurd performance. Your performance is particularly great, though. You can still
0: see, you know, you were very animated, and uh... that was the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, it didn't and the look, alcohol. <laughs> it didn't. You didn't look Whoops, like sorry. <laughs> you didn't look like someone who'd never performed before. Put it that way.
1: We must ferociously attack We must ferociously attack We must ferociously attack So-called liberal. institutionalized egalitarianism 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 It is a liberal smokescreen A
0: liberal smokescreen A liberal smokescreen, a liberal smokescreen.
1: to replace activist content. Activist content. Activist content with liberal structure. Structure, structure,
3: structure, structure, structure. We, we certainly had not not conceived of art and language production as performative in any modern, you know, in any contemporary sense. No.
1: And had you rehearsed before you did? No. There was no rehearsal. Mm-hmm. There was just a bit of a conversation and invited a few people along. But that Mayo Thompson had done that already years and years ago because the Red Crayola used to have this thing what, what were they called? The, the something ugly, which were some fans who used to follow them around and then they came up in the stage and disrupted the performance. But that's in, a long, that's
3: in the mid though the late 60s. Mm -hmm. Similarly, the record was made more or less ad hoc. There was no substantial rehearsal for making the record. People were provided with the typed lyrics and... and, uh, It was a good deal more professional than... Non-Gorison's Conspicuous Uh, Oh, oh, yeah. Much more But it it had to be because it was a recording studio and Mm -hmm. you've got technicians who, you know, where where you had to lay down the instrumental track. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't a jam session, an instrumental track was produced and, and so on. And the thing was assembled in a more or less conventional way, even though the vocal performances were pretty informal. And I
0: suppose the nine conspicuous and gross and conspicuous errors included the errors of the musical harmony or just the errors of, you know,
1: in terms of it wasn't meant to be performed. Well, it was just a or... preposterous thing to, to to do, to to speak those kind of lyrics. But it was called Nine Gross and Conspicuous Errors, I believe, in, in response to corrected slogans, some way. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was done slightly later even though the record wasn't uh, released mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i'd heard that some of the tracks in fact i performed one of the tracks of not on corrected slogans brilliantly i must say <laughs> be a good neighbor to nature
0: support regionalism
1: in nature and solve the theoretical problem how
0: one region's in another's neighborhood to nature and discover the coherence of
1: normativity in such a stature.
3: There was a, a faint, uh, um, froideur, more than faint, between the art and language operation in the UK and the art and language operation in the United States, largely, I think, because the... My view of political content uh, is rather that of an ironist or I've I've always felt very clear that it it is not open to artists or it is not appropriate in certain ways for artists to see their work as directly um, capable of any sort of political effect but rather that they have to stand in a sort of displaced relationship with political action or else get involved in it directly and not pretend it's art.
2: Like activism.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. do that fine, but, mm. but don't fuck about pretending mm. that your artistic toings and froings are, are directly. Political significance, and there were needed an, always an ironic distance. And I think many yeah. of the people in New York were, in my view, at that time, literal-minded hobblyhoys who, who, who um, rather, uh, took the, the political content of their their operations rather more literally and and seriously than I was able to do.
2: I had a question so there, about irony. How did irony play a role? And um, what does improvisation do to irony and satire?
3: Well, there's there's quite a wide range of cultural forms that might be called ironic and satirical. And, you know, they can be the blindingly obvious and rather sort of, you know, um, uh, self-consciously... Dramatic and theatrical sorts of satire, and then there are various ways that one can touch uh, forms of displacement and sliding things aside and and uh, and so on which are one uh, well, has to be careful i mean he who will as as, as a lamentable and in some ways lamented Paul de man suggested he who will play the ironist is in very great danger of becoming an ironical spectacle him or herself. Mm. So one has to be very careful, one has to be very economical in one's uh, irony, I, su- mm-hmm. I suppose. But at the same time, as far as political, the idea of the artist as um, uh, a, a, a political entity, it seems to me that it's almost necessary for a certain this placement or irony to be present in, mm-hmm. uh, in practice we would play for example in the 1970s with uh, and, it, and this is a thing that's not not it wasn't we weren't aware of it perhaps but it's certainly something that was done by the situationists and the letterists and all sorts of people at that time which was to play with certain sorts of langu- a language of violence or a language of aggression and so forth a language of you know, Saint-Just, as it were. Um, we would play with that, but, but there was no sense in which we were actually going to, you know, chop people's heads off or break their bones, even though we would fool about it with that sort of language from time to time. It was quite violent,
0: some of the imagery, but then it's, it's funny because of the way it's delivered, but actually some of the messages about language yeah. particularly, yeah. about how language is managed or in our society, there's a a management who controls language. Uh, Do you see all those things as still relevant somehow? Yes. Yeah? Yes,
1: they've transformed themselves somewhat from the notion of the cultural manager taking over. Because I thought that if you just pointed out to people that the cultural management was taking over everything, that they'd change their ways immediately. What a funny thing to think. Language belongs to the managers. Capitalist material relations transfix our social relations into discrete commodities. Our individual particularity gets transfixed into reified mind or self.
0: Was that just a moment for it or did you suddenly feel like that was a good release for you or was it something because it's, you know, like other bits of your practice was itinerant, you would do a bit of it and then park it and then go off to, and do something else. Yeah, it it's become,
1: essayistic.
0: Yeah, didn't become a, a major strand. Well, the music. Yeah.
3: Well, I think, it, I think it's an... Un, I, I personally feel quite frustrated that it is an under-described uh, uh, aspect of, 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 of our work in the 1970s and even up to, to the present. I mean, yeah, I, I've, I've had conversation with Mayo about it not that long ago, about how I felt it was something that merited attention. It accounts for our passage through the seventies mm. in many ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does. And, and accounts also for, for well, not accounts for, but makes it a little more sense of that of our recognising that we did work essayistically and then could only work essayistically and re-descriptively and so on. That mm. that it creates the circumstances in which that begins to make sense, and that the one sure thing we had to do was abandon some police-like purism mm. in, in relation to our status as, you know, among those who began conceptual art, so-called. I mean, they do get reviewed in music business,
1: it's the records. Yeah. And some of the reviews, people know shit about art language. Yeah. Some of the reviews are really, really quite interesting yeah. because they come from somewhere by somebody who's so hip it hurts me to read it yeah
0: (laughs) but do they come up with interesting insights yeah yeah exactly off the wall yeah Mm.
3: but quite interesting yeah and there are sort of fans of that whole area that don't the as you say don't connect to the art. over yeah all slightly do Mm. slightly yeah Mm. And it's very, very uh, sort of tangentially to to the fact that it's associated with an art practice, is, which is fine. I not but I rather like that. That, mm. in, in other words, it it isn't the equivalent of a a bunch of artists in a drabbly pretending to be singers or artists or musicians, but rather that that, that it lives in whatever. Might be a drab and strange world anyway, but but it, that it it goes out there and lives, uh, you know, it, its own life, independent of the art world, and that seemed quite important. Mm-hmm. We don't get off on it, uh, and we don't control it as p- just simply part of our artist. You know, it mm-hmm. li- doesn't live only in the art world, and that seems important. It it gets out of the art world. But I feel like you know,
0: people who understand the music world might understand. Your sort of amorphous collective band like mentality more than people in the art world who are like, why are you yeah, all? What, how can you be that's in Coventry? Actually, they
3: they never, a- ever question it. Never, yeah. never, never ask. What's yeah. it like? You know, somebody somebody once asked this in Germany, you know, what's it like to work with somebody else? And they said, Do you know anybody who doesn't work with somebody yes. else? Yes. <laughs> making films or making I mean, records. Anything, or anything. You know, yeah. I mean, for that matter, making paintings all on your own in your yeah. studio. Yeah. You know, it, one way or another, you.
0: Yeah, you there know, is a dialogue. Unless
3: in a you believe in, in the myth of free will and, and all the rest of it, you know, we, we mm. continue to produce these collaborations. Um, I feel it's, it's in part the key to understanding the r- r- route from the indexes to the various other kinds of work that we've been able to do. Um, I also think it it is equal to, in importance, insofar as any of our work is important, it is equal to, in, in importance, the, the, the indexing project yeah. themselves. But I think course, it's under uh, undervalued to yeah, this. I mean, Even Charles, by
1: Charles, Harrison, Charles Harrison didn't mention the music at all and he's written two, ex- well, he wrote two... Even though he well, performed on Corrected Slogan. Yeah, he performed one, yeah. but he there was no mention of the, of the musical. There might have been one. There's one he,
2: in one of the books. Like well, that was that yeah, was yeah. partly yeah. personal.
3: Because that was partly he, personal. At, at the same time, um, Charles found himself perfectly able to cope with our relationship with the, uh, the Jackson Pollock bar and the, the, those performances, which yeah. we also write scripts for. Mm-hmm. And again, that and he saw that, that as an operatic
0: mm-hmm.
3: kind of performance. The Jackson Pollock bar. Yeah. And it's perfectly possible to conceive of some of the records as as analogous to some of the Jackson Pollock bar performances. Mm. Perfectly possible. Mm. They're guises and, you know, uh, uh, didactic performances in all sorts of course, strange ways. Uh, 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 and, and need or, or bear comparison mm. with Jackson Pollock bar performances. Yeah, so, so Charles found, because there was a sort of slight... A whiff of slightly higher culture somehow, in the Jackson Pollock bar stuff. Jolly, rock, rock, yeah, it rock wasn't and roll rock and roll. Jolly <laughs> found found it uh, 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 more more to his taste.
0: But the above. use of text and the use of. Um speaking other written texts and the use of miming and the use of kind of actors and people standing in for yourselves and all of that continued through those performances. Yeah, we
1: stand in for ourselves quite frequently still today.
3: (laughs) 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 Those things are connected. And and again, one one tends to discount that connection between the, the scripted theoretical productions, which are often then... Also published, and live uncomfortably in a kind of peer-reviewed academic world, which also can form the physical background for other sort of sort of art, art, artworks, and which also go into performances by the Jackson Pollock bar, and on occasion into performances by the Red Crayola. There is a continuity, or a sort of continuity, yeah. Yeah. albeit a. Faciporous continuity, but it is there between those those various strands of the work, and always sort of has been.
1: Yeah, it was a kind of con- kind of social contingency, in fact, in the beginning, and it continues to be a kind of social contingency, even though Mayo now lives in Los Angeles.
3: Or there would also be public, con- public contingency, political contingency, external to us. I mean, there are many. Aspects to it, but the thing is, it wasn't—it was con, wasn't consciously made into a kind of this is this is what our identity is built of. We've never been very sure of our identity, I just basically. Like, it's something we make up as we go along and continue to do. <laughs>
2: I wondered if it was of interest to you, it might not be, just to talk a bit about Red Crayola karaoke.
3: tell you a little anecdote about it. Mayo wants to make a karaoke machine
1: (laughs) with every single Red Crayola song on it.
3: But it proved both technically and financially a bit out of reach. Yes. To do that at the moment. but we'd had a sort of a, a- sort of karaoke at the listen gallery some years ago mm, I, and I remember uh, it it wasn't bad in many ways so there was sort of a little a little sort of lounge it wasn't real in the, karaoke. In, the, in the basement. no it wasn't a real karaoke machine it, it but it 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 was a kind of bouncing ball sort of setup with the music in fact
1: Gina Birch, who sung on uh, kangaroo uh came into the Listen Gallery and actually did one of the songs that she actually did in the mm-hmm. first
3: place. The dédoublement, if ever you saw it. Mm-hmm. But, but <coughs> that one, one minor anecdote of that was that, that Nicholas, I remember Nicholas coming in and saying, some, a collector's just been in, in, in the gallery, upstairs in the gallery, and he heard one of the songs, and he's walked out in high Dudgeon what we're we going to do about this <laughs> and the, the song was a one of one of the one of the um, uh, refrains on on one of the corrected slogan songs was a um a quotation from one of the the an american um land of cocaine or worker songs and the lyrics what uh, that the refrain was, and we will be fed breakfast in bed and served by a fat millionaire. <laughs> anyway, some he fat, must mil- have been a fat million- some fat millionaire came in in the <laughs> the upper part of the living gallery, <laughs> ca- caught the sound of this this refrain, and fucked off out in high dudgeon, which was. <laughs> Much to Nicholas's consternation.
0: (laughs) And I suppose the idea behind the karaoke is that anyone can perform it. So you could be down there listening to, you know, a collector perform it or someone else, and anyone is able to make their own version. Yes,
1: not many people did.
3: We we actually did set it up, or a similar thing up, in a, in an art school in no. Nantes, uh, in a in a relatively confined space, which was relatively secure in relation to the, the the audience of those who may have heard it, and then people were quite willing to perform. It was in this rather secure, sort of slightly cosy mm. little. Little space, they didn't feel quite as exposed mm. and therefore would sort of give it a go. We never tried it in a bar. That's a, you know, like a karaoke yeah. bar. Set up it a real karaoke. Yeah, uh, bar. No, the, the presence of drink would have, would have helped a lot, mm. of course.
0: I'm sure you could go into some karaoke bars that have lists of everything and go and say, I want to perform Kangaroo, or I want to perform a portrait of V.I. Lennon in the style <laughs> of Jackson Park, track number three, please. <laughs> I'm sure you could do that somewhere. If not, we must make it happen. <laughs> what was it like, though, then, the different kind of collaboration where you were writing lyrics and providing titles and things for songs as opposed to performing
3: them? What's the mm. difference there? Well, that's a, that's a quite interesting question because in the first instance, there were performances. And then since then, we haven't really been involved in any kind of performances. It's been a matter of writing. Mm. And... Therefore, one feels one is participating in the production of a record, essentially. But then, of course, there are performances. So, you know, one, the, you know, one, of, one of the highlights of the, of the Red Crayola's oeuvre, for example, would be those performances by Gina Birch and Mayo in Graz of, of uh, one of the five American portraits, or, or the five American portraits. except insofar as the, the, te- the, the text creates the circumstances in which the performers perform, in a sense. I mean rather in the way that, I don't know, you know, c- certain songs of Schumann or Schubert or Richard Strauss or whoever, I mean, one way or another, they were poems or texts that sort of set the music up in a certain way. I have no idea how. Most how, how our lyrics and texts do set up conditions for the production of the the sounds, the music. Don't know how it happens or, or how it's controlled, but I mean, there are ways in which, for example, the, uh, a, a record called, I can't, can't remember now. Oh, size trap by liars, God save me. Um, <laughs> was a satire upon the um, Octoberists, essentially, who'd, who'd attacked us in various ways, in the form of, particularly the form of Rosalind Crows.
2: Stuck. The girl gripping and thrashing, the blunt tip sticking and in the ripples. Dominique, unstuck. The girl tripping and splashing, the blur drip sticking and shooting the cripples.
3: It, it was. It was a little bit of a of a joke at their expense in a certain way, but it was. Again, quite a sort of peculiar, it was, it, the, the, the lyric took its rhythmic structure from, from um, a, a genre that uh, Bob Dylan was very good at. You know, the fee-fi-fo from Cassius Clay, here I come kind of uh, uh, doggerel almost lyric. It came out and it's very aggressive, the, the text. It came out. Um, a la Alban Berg being sung in a kind of lounge bossa style by, by two women or young in women. Los Angeles. Mm.
1: So and that change
3: yeah, yeah, <laughs> it Yeah, yeah. And it's, so it, you know, rather in the way of that, that Berg, you know, the, the most um, violent scenes have the gentlest and most romantic-seeming music. So, you know, this, this rather aggressive... And certainly, intellectually aggressive and certainly kind of threatening lyric is 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 you know displaced or could you say also possibly enhanced by being um, transmitted as 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 a sort of lounge bossa. So the relationship between what I'm trying to say is the relationship between the the the, the, the text uh, and the music is not necessarily one of kind of there being a sort of direct um undisplaced expressivity of you know the mood of one in in, in the mood of the other they're often at, at odds um and that's something we're aware of and something we do have conversations with mayo about um but at the same because time the, we the, don't the, do the music the, the 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 lyrics
1: if i may call them that have always preceded the music yeah and Mayo did make a couple of attempts to change that. To say, "I'll write some music and you do some lyrics," but that never that, worked. Never worked. The text always comes first. Mm-hmm. That there was a, that performative aspect, but that is always. Mayo was always after me and Michael to get up and do some and come and do some singing, but it seemed like not a very good idea because there were so many
3: other people who could do it better than we could. But. It, Leaving that aside, being shit at something has never held us back no, in the past. No, no, um, uh, um, that is true too. But but but, but um, what it seems to me is, is it, you know I'm never quite sure what it is. You know I think the text comes first, and then the text, what the text does, and what the text creates, and what the text text demands and determines is not necessarily something that we know in advance, but at the same time, it's something that, that, that we're in a position to trace and to, to discuss and, yes, to, yes, yeah, and yeah. To, to manipulate to some, to some extent. Um, but the, it's rather similar in this Jack, case of Jackson Pollock Bar. We don't do the acting, even though the actors pretend to be us but they don't really pretend to be us. Mm. You know, a, a six-foot-four... Dutch guy. ..tall, skinny yeah. uh, German actor... Plays me. ..talks... Yes. To, <laughs> pretends to be Mel. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's... that's, that's, uh, that's, that's um, you know, who's that dreadful little short actor who's... Plays Jack Reacher and Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they had, they had to
0: stop that series because people who'd read the book said, "You know, he is supposed to be." six and six. And yes. Six six. <laughs> so, I was going to ask you about the, the 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 new performance that we talked about you doing in the autumn. How that works, and that is oh. you performing, I presume,
1: as yourself. Well. It's us reading, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, Mayo took these uh, texts, which were originally text printed and put on the top of uh, some drawings we did,
3: called letters to. Well, they're they're they're, they're, they're vignettes yeah. in effect. These 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 texts, short, um, fictional letters to. Jackson Pollock, Jackson or, Pollock or, the or the Red like, Crayola. No, no, no. The, the, they're, they're, they're letters to, the letters to Christian Mathieson. Satirical, you might call them, vignettes of, of some of our experiences in the larger glories of the art world. And um, both involving galleries and artists and museums and various other things. They just and they're they're fairly slight. Anyway, he may have got, for some reason, evinced an interest in these things. He wanted these these small
1: vignettes, as Michael calls them. He wanted them, and he performed them when he was in the Whitney Biennial. Uh-huh. um and you couldn't hear any of the lyrics. You could hear little snippets of them, but it was it was so. Casually done. Hmm. In fact, some, sometimes they even forgot to speak some of the some of the words completely. So it was very strange, very strange, low keyed kind of jamming type music. Not even music that was intended to be performed so that people could listen to it. And we thought that it would be kind of interesting that if we stopped the music in certain places and and actually translated what they said so that's mm-hmm. what this this is this this performance is it's the, the 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 music the red Creole are playing the music and then we come in and we translate or make normal or make academic or something what was actually said mm. so we were we were speaking it
3: uh, exactly as if someone were standing in front of a picture and saying this picture is you know you know that sort of that sort of uh, yeah performance and and and, and then turning what what is this, this sort of moderately incoherent effort musical effort into something like a a, a, a piece of rhetoric like a, a piece of um, declamatory speech mm. in a way that it, it was not when it was um, cast about by the the, the, the the musical mess mm. around it.
0: <laughs> when was the last time you did a performance, or you've done this one previously? Have you? Well, we did Maybe it we twice.
3: We we, did. we 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 had to do it uh, for a long version of it in in Barcelona. Um, At Macbeth, and we, they yeah. they then made a very good, you know, a very high quality recording and uh, and so on, and filmed it, um, which they then projected. Um, rather interestingly on a large s- screen on a, in a traditional sense above a stage and the scale of the projection was such as to be life-size. So we were life-size performers. On the, It was very odd and, and very eerie too. And it was performed hear.
1: in the same... Stage, where, stage where it was filmed. So it was a very strange kind of feeling that when you went into this place, mm-hmm. you didn't know whether you were looking at the
3: real stage or the picture. It was that big and that good high resolution. Yeah. And one instance of the, the, they don't get the lyric right. And one of the speeches that he or I, I, think, I don't know which one of us uh, is supposed to perform it. Um, actually correct the lyric. So in some instances, it's it, it's not just a simple translation. There's one occasion where it says, what they ought to have said was. It's the only there's only one occasion in which that, that occurs in that performance. In other words, what did they say? Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 there's some, it, it to some degree, it works a bit like Brax tack and throws some out on the whole thing, mm. which was what we intended to do.
1: And they also forgot to say, perhaps it was all begun by the Centre Pompidou, Richard Rogers' flaccidly engineered fantasy of security and circulation.
2: So track number eight, On Gross and Conspicuous Error. Uh, there is a there is a lyric spoken um, that goes, Capitalist material relations transfix our social relations into discrete commodities. Ooh. And I...
3: Um, that sounds
1: like... <laughs> that sounds like bollocks to me.
2: Oh, okay, well, it's, I just... Yeah, tr-
1: pure me. <laughs> right, so
2: um, I, I just thought maybe um, you could talk about
1: that. I wasn't very, very, I wasn't interested in irony. I meant everything I said. Mm.
3: (laughs) But I can't actually remember why I said it. Which makes you a good person, but a bit of a twat. (laughs) See? You were probably shouting it as
0: well, (laughs) meaning it, really meaning it. Um, Or owning it. Why did you pick that out?
2: I guess I sort of was interested in the idea that, or this idea of how you commodify social relations, or, you know, sort of, like, and how I think that's something that, is very prevalent Ooh. for my generation or, or, or not just my Indeed. generation Indeed. For, the, for the whole Indeed. world
1: today i wasn't that much and, off.
2: and uh <laughs> sort of how cap particularly how
1: capitalism You've made my day
2: <laughs> oh <laughs> how um capitalism co-ops language
1: yeah
2: and yeah. how it co-ops also financializes our social relations yeah, but this is so, so, so
1: obvious now isn't of it?
2: course yeah. um and i guess I, I picked up on that because it's something that, particularly, I'm interested in. First I was all,
3: prescient again. First of all, first of all, <laughs> the first, first of all, it's it's it, it's not a desperately original thought. It, you know, cap- capitalism produces alienation, mm-hmm. um, produces fetishism, produces and commodifies the uh, yeah, yeah, pr- yeah. relations of production mm-hmm. in various ways, and the the, the, the professionalization. Uh, Etc. Of people's relationships, the the instrumentalisation that we've seen over the last forty years, increasing instrumentalisation, certainly true. And to that extent, that rather an original statement is is correct. Of course,
1: it was unoriginal. We yeah. copied everything from somebody else.
2: i